All right, we'll go ahead and we'll go ahead and uh, get started. Remind me, Hosea's here, and Hosea's been here, uh, been able to be here some lately. But I wanted you to know that he did have a blood clot this last week, and that's created some problems. He's on blood thinners, and just keep praying for Hosea that everything will go go okay with him. Good to see you here, Hosea. We'll, we'll keep praying for you. Um, love and appreciate Hosea. This is um, well, where we are, and I don't know number-wise where we are on our summer series. We're uh, mid-July, so I guess we're about halfway, about halfway done. We've had a lot of good speakers, and I've been looking forward to tonight. Billy Camp is here with us. Uh, Billy's been here once before. I was gone when he was here uh, the last time, and I'm, I'm glad I get to be here tonight to be able to listen to him. Um, Billy and I are sort of related. Uh, Billy is married to Shelby. A former Shelby Vega, and uh, Shelby is my sister's daughter, uh, so Shelby's my niece. Um, Shelby's parents are Matt and Jennifer Vega, and uh, so that's Billy's wife. Uh, they have two children, a little girl named Kenley, who's two. She just went to class, and then little Roman, who is three weeks old, not three weeks old, just a little bitty guy. A beautiful family. Uh, Billy actually grew up in Gardendale. Uh, worshiping at the Decatur Highway Church, and, uh, and then went to Faulkner, got a degree in Bible, and got his master's degree from Faulkner as well. Uh, for the last couple years, two or three years, he's been working on his Ph.D. in Christian apologetics through Liberty University, and um, he's going to keep working on that, and Lord willing, he'll be done with that um, before retirement, right? <laughs> takes a while. Um, no, he's making good progress toward that. Bill is a good guy. Uh, he's a college minister at the Dalreda Church of Christ in Montgomery. He's been there since uh, 2011, and uh, uh, he is sort of a relative. But if you if you weren't my relative, I would still uh, I would still have a lot of respect for him and still be excited that he's going to be here tonight. So um, come speak to us, Billy. Well, it's good to be here with you again. Sure. It's good to be here again with you. Uh, I, I look forward to this moment. Um, growing up in, at Decatur Highway, we came up here for uh, a lot of different events, whether it was coming up, being a part of VBS, or part of a summer series like this with uh, guest speakers, or being here for the area-wides. And so uh, it's cool to have that connection and to be able to come back here and from a different perspective, from sitting in the pew to being up here up front. And so I know uh, you're doing a lot of good. I know you have an excellent reputation as a church, and that has been the case as long as I can remember um, being around in this area. And even by extension, talking to a bunch of you that have connections with people at Dalreda, uh, and knowing that there's still home here. People that were in school have come back from school and are part of it here. Uh, it's cool to see that family, and I think that's what's unique about the church as we work together is that we do have a family. Um, and it's, it's amazing that crossover that we can have, even through different cities, spans of time, whatever that may be. So I'm excited about being here, and I appreciate the opportunity. I uh, appreciate Chuck asking me, but also uh, the elders here and for you all being here on a, a Wednesday night. Before we begin our lesson, let's pray together. Lord our God, we come before you and we thank you so much for the day that we have had. We hope that you were glorified in our actions and our thoughts and 
uh, things that we have done for you. I pray that you'll be with us as we study your word tonight. Help us to have clarity of understanding so that we can write these things on our hearts and go and share them with others. Father, we thank you for your son that you sent to this earth to save us from our sins. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. What we're going to be looking at tonight is thinking about being God's workmanship. Specifically, we're going to be diving into Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up there. That's going to be the central point of our lesson tonight, is looking at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, and breaking out some concepts there, and finding out how they relate through the remainder of Scripture, and see if we can get an understanding of what God's really calling us to do. What was Paul's intention as he was writing this? But in our minds for right now, I want us to think about that term, workmanship. Uh, I love building things. Um, it's one of my favorite pastimes, a hobby. I like carpentry work. Now, I love how decorations and things are right now that you get the rustic, uh, you know, shabby cheek stuff that uh, I don't have to be that good at carpentry. I can go grab some pallets off the side of the road. I can break them apart and I can make a table and somebody will think that's the coolest thing they've ever seen. And I'm out like a box of nails. So I love that that's how uh, I can be a carpenter right now, that uh, it doesn't take a whole lot. But I also enjoy putting a little bit more effort in there. I love being able to, to build a table and to see somebody use that. Uh, but on the other side of that, when we build something or we make something, whatever your specialty may be, you may not be a carpenter. You might be really good at Legos. And you build something that you really like. We hate when it, it breaks. I built a table for somebody. It was actually a family member for Sarah. Um, and they are out in Virginia, and I built it, and we got it delivered to them. And it was a few months later that she sends me a message, and she said, something's happened. The table split open. Like, what do you mean the table split open? She said one of the boards just began to, to crack and separate. Oh, no. So she's in Virginia. I was like, if I was there, I would fix it for you. But I was so embarrassed. I'm still embarrassed uh, that something that I made didn't serve its purpose. Um, that upsets us a little bit. You know, whether it's on a big scale like that, maybe something you put a lot of time in, or maybe something small that you were working on, you had your hands involved with, and it just didn't quite turn out the way that you want it to. You look at it and you say, well, that's my workmanship, but it, you know, it's not the best. It's not up to code. It's not up to par. It's not what I wanted it to be. It kind of failed at its purpose. We get upset with that. I want us to hold that kind of idea in our mind as we go through this study tonight, to think about being God's workmanship. Do we live up to that? The fact that God created us, formed us, and fashioned us, do we live up to his original plan? Do we look like what he wants us to look like? And that's the challenge that we're going to find in Ephesians chapter 2 in verse 10, and we're going to surround it with context, and we're going to go throughout the scriptures, and we're going to determine what does that really mean to be his workmanship, and are we living up to that expectation? We're going to tear this verse apart, and uh, we won't be able to get through all the passages, but I want this to be a study. I always enjoy um, having a topic, knowing that there's more places to go. And so, although we're going to cover a lot tonight, I'm going to leave these scriptures up here for you to maybe dig a little bit deeper later on. We may make m mention to most of them here, but I would encourage you to go study a little bit more. See if you can dive into these passages and find out what God is trying to teach us. But as we look at Ephesians chapter 2, Specifically in this one single passage, we find our term workmanship. Let's read it together and think about this. He says, For we are his workmanship, 
created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, this passage is at the end of a, a larger section that we're going to see in, uh, shortly towards the end. That Paul's kind of telling us a story of creation. He's telling us a story about ourselves. And he's telling us a story about where we've been and what we should be doing now. But we're his workmanship. When you think of that, what do you think of? I think about Jeremiah chapter 18. Jeremiah uh, is a fascinating prophet to me. If you haven't sat down and read some of the stories from Jeremiah, I'd encourage you to go and do so. I, I love prophets. They are funny, some of the things that they end up doing. Some of the challenges, challenges that God gives them to do, they seem a little, little strange, a little weird. Jeremiah was on the receiving end of that. You know, it's one of those times where God tells Jeremiah, hey, I want you to go get uh, your loincloth and I want you to go bury it in the ground. Given a span of time, he tells him, hey, I want you to go dig that back up. What'd you find out? And he said, well, it's spoiled. And he said, okay, Israel is spoiled. Um, they, were, they were sheltered and they were taken care of, but now they're not. So he had an object lesson um, with his loincloth that God gave him a command to go do something like that. A lot of the prophets received things like that, but Jeremiah had another, uh, I guess we'd call it a field trip. God told Jeremiah, he said, I want you to go down to the potter's house. And I want you just to observe. In Jeremiah chapter 18, starting in verse 1, this is what we find out. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, arise, go down to the potter's house, and there I'll let you hear my words. So I went down to the potter's house, and there he was working at his will. And the vessel he was making of clay was spoiled in the potter's hand. Now if we just stop there, and we think about what Jeremiah is watching. Now I don't know if you've done any kind of uh, pottery work. Uh, Shelby's um, grandmother on the other side of the family she makes pottery. My favorite present that we got when we got married was a full set of china that she made herself. The plates, big plates, little plates, bowls, cups. It is my favorite thing that we have in our cabinets uh, because she gave that to us. She made it. And every year she does that. She'll, she has one of those walk-in kilns that she makes a lot of pottery. It's amazing. Also in my cabinet or around the corner with the coffee cups, I have a coffee cup that I made when I was in the seventh grade. Um, in art class, it looks nothing like what she made. You would not want to drink coffee out of it. On the in, like outside was kind of smooth. I did pretty good with the glaze on there. On the inside, I mean, it is. There are just nooks and crannies all in there that stuff would just get stuck. It's just not even worth it. And it's funny if you hold those two things side by side: a coffee cup that you know that Nana made and a coffee cup that I made in seventh grade. There's an obvious difference. Mine did not live up to my expectations. I had bigger plans for it. I thought it was going to be the best coffee cup I've ever seen. It didn't work out. The stuff that she throws away because it doesn't fit, you know, her standards, I would be fine with putting in a, a shelf and showing the whole world. That's how good it is. Even her flawed pieces are better than what I thought was the best that I had made. But think about watching a potter. He's forming something, and it's in that raw clay, and he's trying to make something, and it, it just doesn't look right. What does he do? Well, you know what? It's ugly. I'll keep it. No, what, what's going to happen if you're working with that clay, if you're working with Play-Doh, if you're trying to build something and it doesn't live up to your expectations and you're trying to put it together, what do you do? Smash it and you're going to build it over again. Jeremiah's watching him at his will and he's seeing him. He's putting together a vessel and it says that it becomes spoiled in the potter's hand. It starts collapsing. Uh, maybe it's drying out. Something was just not right about it. And look at what he says next. 
and he reworked it into another vessel as it seemed good to the potter to do. Now, we don't really know what he was envisioning. He was putting something together, and it just didn't look right. It didn't fit his, his, his vision, his image, and so he's going to rework it into something else. That's exactly what he wants. Now, in Jeremiah's case, it's Israel. They don't look right. They don't live up to the expectation. So God says, I can still use you. You may be a remnant. You may be a small part, but guess what I can do with you? I can still make you mine. Maybe not just Israel itself. As you go throughout the the remainder of the Old Testament, you learn a lot about God because he wasn't just concerned with only Israel, but everyone. He can send his troops into the land of Canaan and, and he can take out Rahab and her family that was a... She served as a prostitute. He was able to take her out and and turn her into something different. God has always been concerned with other people. He's been concerned with every one of his uh, points of creation where maybe they were a little spoiled in the potter's hand. But he says, I can take you where you are and I can make you into something new. And that's exactly what Paul is talking about. We are his workmanship. He's created us. He's made us and maybe we don't live up to that. This is exactly what Paul talks about in Romans chapter 1. If you flip back to Romans, we'll be going back and forth in Scripture a lot. So if you're following along, get ready. Romans chapter 1, verse 20. Listen to what he says here. Speaking of God, for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. In the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, and birds, and animals, and creeping things. As Paul continues on in this passage, he's telling them they abandoned their original order. You see, back in the very beginning when we learn about creation, we're created in the image of whom? God. We're made in his image. He has a plan. He has a purpose for us. But we can see when that image begins maybe to spoil in the potter's hand that it doesn't quite fit Something's a little off. What Paul is telling us, he gives us an insight, and he said it's when we stop looking to the creator and we start going to the creation. The rest of chapter 1 of Romans is all about that. What does it look like when God's creation goes away from the pattern and becomes something else? When they become futile in their thinking. Becoming wise, they're actually fools. They give up God for the world. I think about when Jesus teaches the disciples and he said, you can't serve two masters. You'll either love the one and hate the other, you'll despise the one, you'll be devoted to the other. You can't serve God and mammon or possessions or the world. You can't have both. What Paul is telling us in Romans 1 is exactly what Jeremiah was witnessing at the potter's will. And honestly, it's exactly what we can see in our own personal lives. Maybe before we knew Jesus. Look at the things that we were devoted to. Look at what we spent our time doing. It was all about us. Me, me, me. I, I, I. Whatever I wanted, that's what I was going to pursue. 
but something was supposed to change when we come to God. But maybe we can even take that a bit further and we say, all right, I have become a Christian and I follow God, but I've gone back to my old ways, gone back to pursuing my passions instead of God. We get out of order. Things just don't look right. Why do we do that? Where is our focus, really? In Romans chapter 8, and we won't read it for the sake of time, but in Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 19 through 23, Paul speaks of creation. He says, all of creation has been longing and hoping and waiting to be reconciled back to God. It's tough being in this world. Jesus told us that the way to eternal life is narrow, and it's hard, and those that find it are few. You're, the more that you read Scripture, the more you try and mimic Jesus, the more you realize that this world really is hard. We have to be on call, on our toes, every single hour of every single day, and that seems exhausting. We think I, there's no time off. There, there's no way just to step back from Christianity and say, I'm just not going to do that today. No, we are always on call. We're always trying to look like Jesus, trying to do more. We're trying to be his workmanship. We're trying to look like his original purpose, but we fail at that. Why do we give up? And why do we get so distracted with things? So as we think about this passage in Philippians, uh, excuse me, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, he says, for we are his workmanship. So I want you to hold in your mind as we think about workmanship that God has a plan for us. And are we meeting that? or not. But he's going to add something to it. He's going to go a little bit further, and he's going to say, okay, if you were just going to focus on the workmanship itself, and you can say, okay, I'm creating the image of God, but there's still just something missing. That's what I love about the book of Ecclesiastes. It's this man on a journey to discover the world and what makes him happy. He tries to pursue things that are empty. The vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What he's saying is everything is just empty. There's nothing. In Ecclesiastes chapter 2, he said, I told my heart you'd be my God. Whatever my heart wanted, I pursued, whether it was knowledge, possessions, uh, women, friendships, whatever that was. He said, I went after it. And do you know what it yielded? Nothing. It was empty. It was vain. It was a striving after the wind. God's workmanship has a better and bigger purpose to it. And this is what he says, that it's created in Christ Jesus. Back in Ephesians chapter 1, look at what he says here. In Ephesians chapter 1, we're going to start reading in verse 3. Paul begins his book this way after introducing him. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him, in love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace that he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to the purpose which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Now, if you enjoy writing in uh, your Bible, you like highlighting and underlining, I would encourage you, not only in this part of the, the passage, extend it through the rest of the book of Ephesians specifically. Underline or note every time the preposition in 
is used. In Him. In the Beloved. Make a notation of every time you see that. I think you'll be quite amazed just in that one passage. Kind of glance back through those uh, few verses that we just read. Look at how many times he mentions being in Him. Being in Jesus. Look at all the things that you receive. Look at all the things that are found there. You have blessings. You have uh, blessings that are in the heavenly place. You have forgiveness of sins. You have mercy. You have adoption. It's just over and over again, all these great blessings, and there's only one place you can find them. It's in Christ. You see, as God's workmanship, we have pursued, at one point in our lives, we pursued things that are outside of God's original plan. We didn't look like Him. We were trying to search after things of the world the same way the writer of Ecclesiastes was. But when we're in Christ, we have a new purpose. We are something different. We have a greater and bigger purpose. We see the world through Jesus' eyes because he has given us eternal life. Look at some of the things that may pop out to you in this one passage. Uh, Maybe one of the things would be adoption as his sons. I I think it's uh, amazing the... Uh, the service project that you're going to be doing of uh, having uh, diapers donated to Agape. You think about the work that Agape does of trying to find homes for children that don't have a home. Parents that aren't able, uh, for whatever reason, to raise their kids and they're looking for a better life for them. Those kids that may be raised in an improper household, they're wanting something more for them. Maybe they need an extra help. Maybe they need to be able to get on their feet. Whatever that may be, we look at Agape and we look at some of the things that they do there with adoption and we think about what God is able to do. We answer to the wrong father at some point in our life. Jesus gets on to his disciples at one point and he says, look, you were pursuing your father of lies. He said, but we are about something more. God has redeemed us and he has made us his own. You see, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. We have to live life, we have to do good things through the eyes of Jesus. Think about 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting in verse 17. Listen to what Paul says here. Therefore, speaking of Jesus and what he has done, he says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a, what? New creation. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. All of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Did you pick up on what uh, Paul is saying here? He said, look, God had this original purpose, this original plan, and he sent Jesus to accomplish it. The only way that we have reconciliation, the only way that we have a relationship, relationship with God is because of Jesus. If we have a relationship with God because of Jesus, what then are we giving to the world? He said, we become ambassadors, representations of what he has done. You see, when we make something, we form it, it has a purpose, and people can see what that purpose is. If you make a cup, you have a pretty good idea of what that cup is supposed to do. 
You can tell if it's made for coffee. You can tell if it's made as a bowl. You can tell if it's made as a plate. It has a purpose and people can see it and it needs to live that purpose out. If we are created in Christ Jesus, we are to see the world through the eyes of Jesus, but we are to live in such a way where people actually see that. And here's what Paul is going to say as you go further into um, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. He says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. And here's what we're created for. Good works. And let's stop here and let's think about uh, the term good works. Do you think that we approach that a little too generically sometimes? I mean, just think about how people in, uh, you know, loosely in Christianity, people uh, that talk about doing good, good deeds, good works. We can call anything a good work, right? You know, if you uh, give some money to a guy that's on the side of the road that needs some help, um, you know, that's a good work. You donate some diapers to an agency that's helping, you know, that's a good work. We uh, help somebody change a tire. We, uh, we help somebody that has fallen down. We look at so many things in life, and we call those good works, and, and they really are good. They do good for someone that is in a bad situation, or, you know, it's not ideal, they're in distress, whatever that may be. We extend goodness to them. But is that really what Paul meant by good works? Just something generic, or was there something a little bit more to it? I think for us to get the fuller picture we need to dive a little deeper. Paul says in Titus chapter 3, verses 4 through 8, he tells us a little bit about these good works and how they're related to us being in Christ. This is what he says in uh, Titus 3, starting in verse 4. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration, the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly, through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Pay attention to this. The saying is trustworthy. And I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. He tells you, he said, put a pen in it. These things are trustworthy. That's one of those phrases Paul likes to use when he wants to get our attention. He's like, look, you can hang your hat on this. This is something you need to look at. This is trustworthy. You can take it to the bank. Devote themselves to good works. What do we know as a good work? Is it just taking care of someone that's in a precarious situation, or is there something more? You go back to verse 4, and he kind of gives us an insight into what a true goodness is. When the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared. I want us to think about some things that Jesus did. Let's think about some good works that Jesus did. What was their purpose and what was the plan for them? If you go to uh, John chapter 9, probably one of my favorite stories of Jesus healing somebody is found in John chapter 9. This is where he heals a man that was born blind. And as you read the rest of the story, it's almost comical the way that it's played out. This man that has been blind, he can't see, someone comes and heals him and then just disappears. So the Jews come and start questioning him, hey, who healed you? And he's like, I don't know, I was blind, but all I know is now I see. They were like, well, why were you blind? Did, did you sin or did your parents sin? He said, I don't know, I was blind, but now I see. So they go and ask his parents, hey, this man, um, was he born blind? Yes. Well, who healed him? I don't know. Well, what information can you give us? Well, 
he's old enough. Why don't you just go ask him? They said, we've already been there. So they go back to him. It's just this comical story of going back and forth of them trying to figure out Jesus. And, and finally, he comes by and they, they meet Jesus who healed this man. But if you go to the beginning of that story, of one of the main uh, passages here, in John chapter 9, starting in verse 1, listen to how the story begins. And he passed by, speaking of Jesus, and he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Listen to verse 3. And Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it's day. Night's coming when no one can work. As long as I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. You see, Jesus looked at this situation, this man, and and people are wanting to know, how did he end up here? What happened? Why is he like this? And what did Jesus see? He saw an opportunity not just to do good, but to do good to show God. Look back in other stories of what Jesus does and look at his definition of what is good. Why did he feed people? Was it to get their attention? Was it just to give them a full belly? And and he patted himself on the back and he said, I am the Messiah. Look, I just fed them. What happened when they came back? Ah, you came because, just because I filled your bellies or is there something more? See, Jesus used those little moments to get people's attention. Now, I'm not trying to diminish the good things that we do. I think that we need to show the love of Christ in every possible way that we can. But I think we also need to dig a little bit deeper within ourselves to determine why are we actually doing those things. Is it just to be able to pat ourselves on the back? Or is it to do something more? Look at John chapter 10, verse 32. John 10, verse 32, Jesus answered them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? People were looking for opportunities to kill Jesus. And they were going to kill him because he did good. He would heal someone on the Sabbath, and, and they were more concerned that he was doing something illegal on the Sabbath instead of seeing that he was doing good for somebody on behalf of God. You know, that's where Jesus would have a conversation with them, and he'd heal somebody on the, the Sabbath, and they say, hey, you're not supposed to be doing that. And he said, okay, if you had an animal that fell in a ditch on the Sabbath, would, would you get it out, or would you just leave it there till the next day? Well, of course I would get my possessions, and I would take care of them. He said, okay, what about someone that's created in the image of God? There's nothing they can really say back to that. They realized that they had backed themselves into a corner. They had misused God's workmanship. In John chapter 6, in the same chapter that details uh, Jesus feeding the 5,000, when the group comes back, listen to what Jesus says in John 6, verse 28. Then they said to him, speaking of his disciples, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Think back. They had just fed the thousands of people, gone on a little journey, Across the Sea of Galilee, the people have followed them in boats and in all these different ways, and they've come back because they want more. And so the disciples are looking back on this situation thinking, okay, what can we do to be doing the works of God? What does Jesus tell them in response? This is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. Why is that the work of God? 
You know, shouldn't you think that he would have filled in there, you know, uh, do the works of God, love people. Do the works of God, give a cup of cold water. But what does he say we should be doing as the works of God? Believe in him who he has sent. You see, Jesus came to this world to save the world, to return the world back to its original purpose. The same way Paul says in Romans chapter 8, that that verse that we made mention of, the world is groaning, waiting to be reconciled. For those of us that have made that decision to be in Christ, we see what it's like to be back in the potter's hand. We see what it's like to be back in his original purpose, and we want to do something for people that don't get it. That's what I believe in what I think Paul is painting is a true good work, bringing the world back to the potter. But he goes further in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. For we are his workmanship, creating Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand. I think people get called up a lot in the book of Ephesians with thinking about predestination. Thinking that God has already assigned each person into a particular category of saved or unsaved to its extreme point. Or maybe they think about predestination, that God has already determined everything and, and there's no wiggle room. It is just the way that it is. A lot of people have taken that term about predestination and they, they've gone too far. They've gone away from what the scriptures really say about it. I think a fuller picture, if you will take that word predestination and you plug it into Ephesians chapter 1, you plug it into uh, Romans chapter 8 where it's used again, really what you get is predestination is that God has predestined us to be in heaven with him. That's exactly what he says. But here's what he means by it through further clarification. You're not supposed to be in hell. (laughs) You're not supposed to be outside of the potter's hand. You're not supposed to be doing the things that you want to do that are filled with sin. That's not what you're about. That's not what you were created to be. That's not what your original purpose is. Your original purpose is to be the image of God, the image bearers of God. Everywhere you go and everything you do, you show God's goodness that There is nothing like man on this earth. The animals don't match to what God has done for us. He has breathed life into us. And and we are different. We are truly image bearers of God. And when we get outside of that order, we want to be back into that. And so God says, I have predestined you. He looks each one of us in the eyes and he says, come back to the creator. Stop focusing on the creation. Stop living for yourself and start living for me. To be predestined, God is simply looking and says, can I remake you? That was my plan. I put you on this earth and I gave you a chance, but I haven't abandoned you. (laughs) You're not left without help. You're not left alone. I'm with you and I will always be with you. In Ephesians 1, as we dig back into that passage, in verse 3, look at what Paul says again. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Did you catch what he said here? He did predestine us to be in heaven because that's how he created us. He created us to be with him for all of eternity. That's our purpose. 
And the only way that we're going to be back to the Father is to be recreated through Jesus. That's the story that he's telling us here. You have to be in Jesus to receive those blessings. To go back to what you're supposed to be about, you go back to the Father's hands. You go back to the spinning wheel. And you let him rework you. So as we bring that further in, we we just think about that, and there's a lot of verses you can dig into, and I've left those for you. But as we come to a close on this particular passage, he says, For we are his workmanship, creating Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand. We were meant to do this, that we should walk in them. Another fun study for you, and I've given you the passages. Go through the book of Ephesians and look at every time Paul used the word walk. He's going to tell us what we should be walking and what we should be doing. Don't walk as the Gentiles. Walk in light. Walk in love. Walk in Christ. He gives us all those things, and he tells us this is what you're to be about. If you figured all this out, if you figured out what Christ is able to do, you figured out what God is able to do, you live like it. Think about what he says in Philippians chapter 1, verse 27. Philippians 1, verse 27, Paul says, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Listen to that one more time. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. I get what we say and what we kind of wear as a badge that we are unworthy. Because we have chosen sin. We have pursued our passions and our desires outside of God. But what Paul is telling us to do, for those of us that have figured this out, that we have to be recreated in Christ, to go back to that original purpose, to be his workmanship, to be about good works the same way that Christ was about good works, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Live like you believe it. (laughs) Live like you've been in the potter's hands. Live like you're supposed to. I love that that passage because he tells us further on in chapter 3, Uh, Verse 17, brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. But we're not meant to be on this earth. We're here, but our citizenship is in heaven. When I think back on this passage, as Paul is challenging us to look like Christ, he's saying, go back to the original creation, go back to the plan, go back to the potter's will, go back to the potter's hands, Let him rework you and turn you into something in Christ so that you can be about the same things that Christ was about, so that you can do what he he had originally planned for us from the very beginning and live like you believe it. And you bring all these things to a close, and as we do tonight, to put uh, Ephesians 2 verse 10 into context, I I want to to show us what he says from verse 1 all the way. I want to paint this picture of a recreation to you. And I've color-coded a little bit, so that you can see it. Uh, the first 10 verses. In the middle, in the green, I don't know if it's really showing up very well, but in the green is where the story changes. 
you start in the beginning and he, he starts off with things that are in darkness, things that aren't right. By the end, you get back to where we're supposed to be, what we just talked about tonight. I'll read this passage and we'll, we'll close. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that's now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable richness of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing, it's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that one may boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Let's pray together. Lord God, we, we come before you thanking you for the opportunity that we've had to study your word. Help us to be your workmanship. Return us back to what we're supposed to be. Recreate us in Christ Jesus. Turn us into a new creation so that we can live out your will in the world around us. Father, I pray that you will be with the world. Help them to see your son through your church so that they can know what it's like to be back in your hands. Father, I pray that you'll be with the church here as they, they start some of these uh, works. That I pray that you'll be with them as they go through VBS, that uh, they'll be able to bring in people and show them your love and your son and what they do. Be with each one of us, guide us, and instruct us as we go throughout our lives. We love you and we pray this to you in the name of your son and our Savior, Jesus the Christ. Amen.